Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Sheena Watt about how to get on a board and about cultural isolation in the boardroom. Firstly, let me tell you a little bit about Sheena. A proud Yorta Yorta woman, Sheena Watt is a board member of Vic Health, the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation, Progressive Public Health Australia, the Victorian Council of Social Services, or otherwise known as VCOS, and Women's Health Victoria. She's also the Executive Manager for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Policy and Programs at AFL Sports Ready. Sheena was formerly on the boards of the Queen Elizabeth Centre, the Centre for Australian Progress, 3KND, Koorie Radio Melbourne, East Web Fund, National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Women's Alliance and Anti-National. Sheena, what an amazing list and uh, welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. So Sheena, before we get into the conversation, can you just tell us a little bit about the organisations that you're on the board of at the moment? I'm on four boards. Uh, It keeps me really busy, but I'm immensely proud of the work and contribution that I'm able to make to these really important institutions. Uh, The Victorian Health Promotion Agency, known all over, not only uh, Victoria and the world as VicHealth, is really a pioneer in health promotion and promotes good health and the prevention of chronic disease. Uh, That's a ministerial appointment and one that I'm a year into. The Victorian Council of Social Services is a new one for me. I'm up to about my third month and that's the peak body for social services in Victoria with uh, members all over this fine state. The other is Progressive Public Health Australia. It's a gutsy little startup that works to advocate on public health issues that unfortunately the sector can't always advocate on themselves but also press um, the barrow of some of the emerging public health issues in our community. And finally, my most recent one is Women's Health Victoria and I joined that this week and was elected at their AGM at their 25th anniversary this very week. I was so very proud of that. Congratulations. That is fabulous. And congratulations to them in getting such a fine board member to join their board. Thank you. It's an incredibly important organisation doing really good work and I'm just thrilled. (laughs) 
Before I delve into some of those things, and I've already got a number of questions I want to delve into, but before we go there, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you tell us what was your earliest experience of governance? I never set out to do what I do in the boardroom or even be in a boardroom. I didn't grow up knowing what a boardroom was. I'm a kind of humble working class kid from Melbourne, spent a little bit of time in Brizzy. Uh, and when I moved to Brisbane, I ended up getting involved locally in some community efforts around um, Aboriginal cultural heritage. There was a site that was really significant to Aboriginal people locally and they were looking for a youth voice. And I was asked to come along and be a youth representative on the board of Talabilla Aboriginal Corporation. They were the representative body for the Aboriginal people there. And so I joined as a youth representative and ended up on the board, strangely, at 15 years old, uh, leading a some works locally around the saving of a borrowing. It was something that sticks with me all these years later and made me realise just what an impact you can have at a board level. And it it kind of came from there, really. So that's my first memory and uh, so there is a sacred site in North Brisbane that's there because of some advocacy of some really good strong community members that I look up to and still admire to this day. And since then you've obviously built a pretty impressive board portfolio over the years. There's a number that you've been on, there's a number that you're on now. So you've been on the board of VCOS for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. You're about to join the board of Women's Health Victoria. Elected this week. Elected this week. So I'm wondering about your induction for VCOS and how that worked and how your joining of the board went. It went remarkably smooth. Mm. I wasn't expecting it to be as welcoming and as warm as it was. Not that it was some big, scary, you know, state institutional organisation that does, you know, incredible advocacy and policy work. And I was a little bit intimidated by the enormity of it, frankly. But Emma King, the CEO, put together a really great program to make sure that I felt as welcome and I need to pay profound respects to the chair of the board, Stella Avranopoulos, who has shown me really what good induction looks like. She took the time out to reach out to me and we had a great meeting where she talked about the history of the organisation, what the direction looks like, what part I can play, what are the emerging challenges, what are some risks that you need to know about, how does the election work, what are some sticking points in the the constitution and other things. And for me, that was uh, exactly what I needed, as well as doing the standard sort of induction work around understanding the funding, the finances, director's duties and other sort of fundamentals. There was a real warmth to it that I hadn't received Well, I had, but in a very different way. There were two women now that I think have just got it so very, very right. Mm, You would hope so (laughs) at an organisation like the Victorian Council of Social Services, but it is great to hear because sometimes organisations that should have it right don't have it quite so right. So it sounds like an effective and warm and inclusive introduction to the organisation and to your role. And now in my first two meetings, I found the way the chair makes every effort to include me in the conversation, makes every effort to ensure that my contribution is heard and valued has been something that I've really appreciated. 
So I'd be interested in exploring that concept of inclusion for you. Because mm. even when you described your first board, you know, you were the youth voice on the board. Yes. You're a, the young person. You're a young woman. You're a young Aboriginal woman. <laughs> What's been your experience of inclusiveness in the boardroom? Well, you feel fairly included when you have senior Aboriginal elders and leadership there keeping an eye out for you and making sure that you're supported. But as you'll see from some of my board experiences, they're not all Aboriginal organisations. So the isolation that I felt as a young person, it was tough. It was really tough. And it wasn't until I found my feet as a young person on the board of Eastweb Fund which is an incredible micro-granting organisation sub-fund of the Australian Communities Foundation made up of all young people. And it was the first time that I found my voice as a young person equal to everybody else. You always have that filter that you put on before you speak. But for me, I didn't do that with the Web Fund because I was just like everybody else in the room and I felt like I was in a room of equals in my youth and it gave me some of the confidence that I'm now able to carry on into some of my other appointments. So I thank the East Web Fund for that. There's a little bit that I've learned from just about all of them. I was on a board with incredible Aboriginal women in the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Women's Alliance. They helped me find my voice as an Aboriginal woman. I was on the Centre for Australian Progress where I could be proudly progressive and care about social change and it'd be okay because everybody else was there too. And now I weave all of those experiences now into the boards that I do so I can be a, a younger person in the boardroom, even still to this day. I can be a woman, an Aboriginal woman, and also somebody who cares deeply about my community and affecting change through advocacy and social movements. And I've been able to do all of that by finding my feet in a boardroom of those organisations and now can deliver messages about all of those things in all the different spaces I find myself in. In finding your feet through those experiences and through all of those boards and those different organisations, is there any particular examples or situations that you were in in those that you, you can tell us about that give us a bit of a flavour of how you found your feet? I often felt like I was kind of called on to be the voice of that particular group through all of those, whether that was be the voice of the young people or the women or Victorian or whatever it was. And I think about okay, I'm pretty strong now in knowing how to be the voice on the things that I know about. And I went, what's next for me? And I feel like I'd kind of gotten to the end of the road in terms of, you know, my identity and what I could represent in the boardroom. And it wasn't until I joined the board of the Queen Elizabeth Centre and I'd like to acknowledge Sandy Bell, one of the previous podcast interviewees, a wonderful woman who's the chair, that I found how to make my voice heard on issues that aren't me, that I don't have a lived experience of and I don't particularly know all the ins and outs of like I did for some of those other organisations. And the Queen Elizabeth Centre is an early parenting centre. It's a hospital. It works with children in vulnerable situations right across our state. And often it was sharing stories about motherhood. 
And so I sat in a boardroom with people sharing stories about motherhood and I'm not a mother. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to isolate myself from the conversation. I've got something to contribute. And so for me, it was like the next natural progression from this was to be somebody who could speak up, not just with authority on things that I had a lived experience on, but things that I didn't, but I knew about nonetheless. And so that's where I found my voice on things that I didn't have a lived experience of. And whilst every board meeting had somebody reflecting on their experiences of parenthood, I didn't have that, but I still found my voice in that boardroom nonetheless. And that was a really important lesson for me that now I apply just about all the time. What was it about that board and what was it about that experience that allowed you to find that voice? There were others I think was particularly helpful. There were men in the boardroom that couldn't kind of reflect on the challenges of being a mother in the first four years. There were people without children and there were people that just knew that things had to be better and that we were part of the mix of making things better. And so... For me, I think it was having fellow travellers, shared experiences of not being someone with lived experience. And it was sort of almost a first for me, Mm. I must confess, because I had previously been a, a radio listener or an Aboriginal woman or someone that cared about reconciliation or someone in the social movements. But for the Queen Elizabeth Centre, I wasn't someone that had ever used a service, had anticipated using a service or really knew all that much about it. So it required me to dig deeper to make my contributions felt. So it was a challenging space for me and I've um, learnt a lot on reflection from that experience. Hello, it's Helia. I'm just popping in to say thanks for listening. And I'd love to do a shout out to Nicole who got in touch to ask how to access show notes. Great question. So I'm here to let you know how it's done. There's two ways. You can either go to my website, click on the podcast tab, and then go to the page for the episode you want, and voila, there they are. The other way to do it is direct on your phone or however you're listening to this. I've got an iPhone, but I'm sure the other phones are similar. Basically, get the podcast episode up on your screen, which it must be because you're listening to it, and then scroll down past the episode logo, past the volume and so on, And below the sleep timer and the share buttons, you'll find the show notes. While you're there, why not click on the share button and share this episode with someone? Maybe someone on your board or a colleague or a friend. You can send it direct from the podcast app. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So I know that you've also, you've you've been on a range of health boards, health committees, and you've dug deep also in building your your knowledge and expertise around clinical governance. Yes. Tell us about that and that story and what, how that started and, and why you did that. I was the other in the boardroom and that was okay. I was a person without lived experience and that meant that I had to find my contribution in some meaningful way and it wasn't enough for me to just be the Aboriginal person on the board or the woman on the board or the young person on the board because, frankly, that wasn't going to get me through. This was a tough organisation working with vulnerable young people and, and their families. So I thought about where can I make my contribution felt, where can I add to the improvement of services for our children 
in this state and I ended up thinking about what was going on in the world of health and I looked outside of my own bubble and did a bit of an environmental scan and seen that there were some emerging challenges in the world of quality standards and clinical governance and that that would be a real focus for the boardroom of health organisations moving here on in. But it's not something that was awash with heaps of professionals. No one goes to clinical governance school. There is no Bachelor of Clinical Governance. So for me, I thought, well, this is one of those spaces that I could get into and I could learn a little bit about and I could apply myself and find this to be my level of difference in a health board. And so from that, I got onto the clinical governance committee there at the Queen Elizabeth Centre, was also on the clinical governance committee of Breast Green Victoria, also on the clinical governance committee of Mary Health now. And I just have found that to be a really good way of expanding my knowledge and getting experience as well through a subcommittee structure so that when it does finally come to making a decision about joining a board, I can come into it from a period of expertise about a particular area of the business. So for me, it's been a a good pathway into the boardroom as well. Oh, so there's there's two parts of that I'd like to explore a bit more. Firstly, you said you did a bit of an environmental scan to work out that clinical governance, I mean, you didn't know that was the answer before you started, but to work out what the big issues were. What were the sorts of things you did there in your environmental scan? What are some of the just practical things? Because it's such a great thing to do and I'm not sure many people do. So hearing your experience would be really useful. Well, I looked at what were the things that industry organisations around boards are looking at. What are they exploring? You know, what is the magazines talking about? So I had a colleague who had a subscription to a company director's magazine and I would read that all the time and see what articles were being written I looked at what stories were coming out in the health space, particular to a boardroom setting. I also explored through having some meetings with some colleagues already on boards. And finally, I looked at the media and what was the media saying about health. When I put all of those together, I got, for me, a clear picture. I knew what I couldn't do. I wasn't going to magic up and conjure up a law degree. I wasn't going to conjure up a medical degree so that I could become the expert lawyer in the boardroom or the expert medical practitioner. But I could work my way around becoming a uh, contributor to the clinical governance environment. How fabulous. And again, I know I mentioned this on last week's podcast, but of course the Victorian government is very soon, if they haven't already, opened applications for the Victorian Health Services for their boards. And what you've just described is such a fantastic way for people to be able to do their own research around a health board if they're not a health person. So looking at the journals, looking at the media, talking to people involved in those things, it's a beautiful template. So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. You also said that, you know, you got on these committees of Mary Health, Queen Elizabeth Centre and so on to be on their clinical governance or quality committees. And I think you also mentioned you just did some self-learning about that. What did that look like for you? Part of the exploring was to discover where the information was about clinical governance. So after I did that sort of environmental scan piece, I worked out where were the stories being held, where were the information being shared and how can I get my hands on it. So for me, it was that there was a big investigation happening in Victoria. There was a report coming out that really outlined the future steps for clinical governance in Victoria in a health services setting. And I 
grabbed that with both hands and read it quite ferociously. And from that, I was able to understand broadly what were the issues, what were the next steps and what does the reform environment look like in clinical governance as well as understanding some of the service standards that we have around health services and working in a peak body in health also helped and having worked in two, three health-related organisations was particularly helpful. I know you've talked about the credibility gap and how you manage that in the boardroom. Can you talk to us about what that means for you and how you work with that? It's quite an extraordinary thing to be a 30-something-year-old on some of these boards. It's not common. So I come in feeling the weight of expectations about how is it that this 30-something is in the boardroom. And then I'm the 30-something woman and then I'm the 30-something Aboriginal woman. And then I'm the 30-something Aboriginal woman without a law degree or that's not a doctor or whatever. So I carry all of this on my shoulders and somehow I've still found myself in the boardroom, which for me on reflection is quite extraordinary considering my very, very humble beginnings. I then think about what is the gap, either real or perceived, that I have And I try to address some of that through formal training and address some of that through experience. And then in a very practical, I hope to address some of that through actual preparation in the boardroom. And I do try my very best to be prepared. I then really consider that it's such an enormous privilege to be a a governor of an organisation. And it's something that I do carry with me and particularly these organisations that are about supporting the health and well-being of Victorians is something that stays with me all the time. I'm not there as some token project. I'm really there to govern an organisation that hires many, many people, many people's day jobs, their livelihoods, their families' livelihoods rest on the decisions that we make in the boardroom. And so I need to sometimes like get over my perceived failings. That's not always easy, but I do try my very best. I also think to myself, well, yes, I have a role to play in overcoming what I perceive to be some credibility gaps I feel that I might have in the boardroom. But then it's not just on me. It's also that others have a role to play because the board as a whole made a decision about me being there and or the minister made a decision about me being there, as in the case of my ministerial appointments. And so by rights and by decision, I'm meant to be there. And so the role of all of us is to support each other to be the very best and most productive board we can be for the good of the organisation. So I think that's a message, is that it's not just on the person that's a little bit different to overcome all the challenges. It's also on the organisation and it's on their fellow board members to think about how they too can work with people that might have gotten to a boardroom on a whole different path to the ordinary steps that very many take to get there. I could not agree more about supporting each other. We're a board, we're actually a collegiate organisation, I guess. We work together. Can you tell us about a time when either you've really felt that support of others or, or and or, when you've given that support to others? I want to come up with a thousand examples, but one is that boards are now being asked more and more 
that they take a leadership role in reconciliation in the boardroom, reconciliation in their organisations, and for them to pay their part in closing the gap. For health organisations that have a very strict way of doing things, this is a new bit of work. And I found that being an ally in the boardroom to non-Aboriginal people that are for the sometimes for the very first time venturing into the world of Aboriginal affairs, it's sometimes can be a little bit big and a little bit scary. And allyship can go both ways. I think that's the message. And I went to a conference recently and they said, sometimes I'm just too scared to even ask because if I get it wrong, I get it wrong and then everyone knows that I got it wrong. So I just shy away from doing anything at all about it. But now it's in the boardroom, it's on the papers, and I've got to make my mark and make my position felt on this issue, and I just don't have a clue where to start. So being almost like a an ally for them has been good because sometimes they've been an ally for me. It can go that way, or sometimes it's a favour that you pay forward and comes back to you at some other point in time. I am very soon to launch the first Reconciliation Action Plan for the Queen Elizabeth Centre, something that I worked on. And for an organisation that's been around over 100 years, that's a really big deal. This is an organisation that has a history with children and Aboriginal children in our state and it took some tough conversations in the boardroom about the role that they played and particularly amongst families and amongst women and what was their contribution to the stolen generations. And for someone with a family history in the stolen generations, this was a very challenging time for me. So not only was I supporting my fellow board members in what was a very confronting board conversation, it was also right and just. And I was also going through my own emotions about being involved in an organisation that had this history. But in the end, we came to a, you know, a joint position about fighting for the future of children and the recognition that the removal of Aboriginal children in this state is just too high and that we all have a part to play in it, particularly this organisation, and we need to step up and acknowledge our past and make some firm commitments for our part in the future. So that, for me, was something that I'm enormously proud of. I can't wait to speak at the AGM in two weeks' time and let them know about just how enormously proud I am of them for taking these very, very brave steps. So, yeah. yeah. What a beautiful example around that, yeah, co-support in a way and allyship. Yes. Maybe we need a Bachelor of Allyship. I've been asked that more than once, I must <laughs> confess. <laughs> oh, so, Sheena, we've talked about a whole range of things. You know, you're coming into boards, your role in the boardroom, finding your voice in the boardroom, allyship, a whole range of things. What are the key points you want people to take away from today's conversation? I think my three uh, messages really for people are one, that allyship in the boardroom is remarkably important and it starts from the very first meeting, maybe even before that, as I've discovered at my very first meeting recently. And secondly, is that you need to find your value beyond being another 
beyond being a young person or beyond being a woman or beyond being an Aboriginal person. You have so much more to contribute than your identity. You have knowledge and skills attributes and contributions that are very, very powerful. But beyond that, you have obligations (laughs) as a board member. And just there is no exemptions under ASIC for board members not doing their duties because I'm Aboriginal. That is not the case. So just as I am expected to understand how to read the financials, I'm also expected how to you know, understand risks and all the rest. It is not a free pass from your duties as a director. And that is something that I think is really important to share, that some people put their hand up in the air and say, well, we're at the financials now, that's not my bit, I'll leave that to the finance guy. Oh, we're looking at risk. That's not my bit. I'll leave that to the lawyers or that committee. We all have an obligation. And for me, it's something that I take really seriously because uh, for me to get my my next board appointment, I need to do right by these board appointments. And I'm not always saying that I'm looking ahead, but doing my duties is, is important and it sets you up for a, a really important career in the boardroom. And I suppose my third tip is about really the rest of my fellow board members and now I'm on four boards and on each of those I'm the only Aboriginal person so I have somewhere in the tune of about 40 other board members that I see every month none of which are Aboriginal but they all have their own struggles with working with Aboriginal subject matter and I want to say that um, allyship works both ways but that you too have an obligation to reflect on the things that you think about the other people on the boardroom and really challenge your biases because just as I sometimes many years ago saw the accountant guy in the boardroom and went yeah that's just the accountant guy I know he'll only speak up when it comes to the financials. That was a biases that I held and I've since been corrected by some very active, very engaged, very interested and profoundly passionate board members that happen to also be CPAs. I too think that others may have biases about me uh, or about other women or about other young people, about Aboriginal people in the boardroom and I say to them that, it's a reflection in your you know your journey that you need to do to look at yourself and understand where that we're all in this together and that we come to the boardroom with the shame vision for safe thriving stable productive and solvent organizations (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you Sheena there is just thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing Your governance wisdom, I think there's plenty in there for all of us to think about and to learn from. So thank you for being with us here today at Take On Board. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hi there, it's Halia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. 
With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.